Welcome to the show, everybody. My name is Pete Wright, and I am here with Megan Strand. Hey there. And Dane Christensen. Hey. And we are the Naked Marketers. Thank you so much for uh, listening to the show. We've got a, a great one uh, planned for you. I'm so excited just to be back on the line with you people. Feels so good to be back. It does feel good to be back. Doesn't it feel good to be back? It does. It feels like it's been too long. Uh, we took a, a little bit of a hiatus, but we are back, and we've got a great interview coming up a little bit later in the show with uh, the um, the inimitable Rick Tarosi, um, proprietor of SiliconFlorist.com, uh, talking about, um, boy, talking about the startup economy, which is a lot of what we want to be talking about this season of The Naked Marketers. We're talking about how to build engagement with customers starting from nothing, and, and that is a lot of, of, the, uh, of what we're going to be talking about when the, uh, with all of our great guests that are going to be coming on this season. So we look forward to another great uh, great season of Naked Marketers. And, and um, uh, please make sure you find us at thenakedmarketers.com. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash, uh, what is it? Naked Market? Is it just the Naked Market? I don't even remember. Is that a shame? What is our, na- our Facebook you know, page, people? We had an issue with the word naked on Facebook. So I'll look it up as we're talking and I'll... Oh, when the close when we close. All right, the show. all right, and you can also find us at on uh, Twitter at Naked Markets and uh, and in iTunes. So just do a search for the Naked Marketers, and we will be there. Make sure to subscribe to us there. That would be awesome. And now, I, and I'm excited you used uh, the word amenable. No, not even close to that word. <laughs> I didn't use that word, that word at all. <laughs> no, try again. Try again. Oh. We didn't warn people that we're. It's actually late at night right now, and uh, our brain function. <laughs> I don't think we need to anymore. Subpar. I think they get it. <laughs> well, yeah, I was trying to hide the fact until you made me stumble over this. I'm, I, I'm going to butcher it again. What was this wanna, word I you just, just used? Hear, just it's one I just don't hear very. Inimitable. 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 Sweet. <laughs> it sounds like a cool word that I'd like to use more often on an everyday basis. That is awesome. Oh, and our uh, oh, and Megan found our Megan found our Facebook. You should try to pronounce our Facebook page. <laughs> There's no vowels in it. Marketers, <laughs> marketers, uh, NKD marketers is what you need to search for on Facebook. Uh, Facebook.com/slash NKD marketers. And uh, then you can uh, you can join us over there, which is awesome. And and speaking of Facebook, should we should we start talking about Facebook because it's been so long? Absolutely. What happened with that? Facebook? Th- that's Megan? not the only reason why, but yes. <laughs> I get to kick it off. Okay. Yes, please kick it off. Um. So Facebook. When was this? Was it just yesterday? I think it was just yesterday. Yeah. October sixth. Um, Facebook had yet another press conference with Zuckerberg, and um, they announced several new features, um, which I'm going to bypass two of them and talk about their new groups feature, um, which is an interesting feature because it's kind of like a mini Facebook within a Facebook. So most of us that use Facebook regularly have a very broad continuum of people that we've friended from high school acquaintance acquaintances to work colleagues to really our closest inner circle. And my understanding is that the Facebook's groups feature is not going to have you per se, like make a list of people, but it's going to start suggesting people that you may um, have connections with already that help you build your groups. Is that right? Am I, am I explaining it well? 
anybody? I don't. I don't. So you, wait, maybe I missed that whole part. So <laughs> you. So actually, Facebook is going to start suggesting people that that are in this group. Yeah, That's see, not read, how I've used my it. My problem is I've seen three. I've read three separate articles about it now i'm now i'm trying to go back and I, well that's clearly a, a, too much information well that's but, why you only but, focus on one even marginally questionable because source. they've had this list feature that's that's not that helpful because um trusting people with their own lists apparently they we we just kind of make a mess of lists so yeah. it's it will i mean you will have the power to manage your own groups but it will similar to how how it suggests friends um, they came up with an algorithm that will, I do remember this part, see it's all coming back to me, <laughs> that will suggest groups based upon your interactions with people. And then similar to tag, like a, a tagging photo face recognition feature, you kind of educate it like, no, these are the people that should be in here, or don't put this person in there. So you have ultimate control over your groups, um, but it there's some sort of algorithm that helps you figure out who you interact with the most, who stuff you're looking at the most. Well, I'm going to create a group. That's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to call it. Justin, Justin yeah, it's launched. I, I've already created a group before. So I'm going to create a new one here called the Naked Marketers. Now, doing do, a, do a Justin Bieber one. I'm not going to do a Bieber oh my group. Gosh. Bieber boobs. God, I can't stand that. I don't even know what that, you know, I probably, <laughs> uh, forget I even said it. All right, so members. Who's going to be a member of this group? Well, I'll tell you. Megan Strand is. You bet she is. And uh, Dane Christensen is also going to be. You're going to let me? Yeah, I am. And you know, now <laughs> here's, here's what you get with this group. Uh, I'm just going through the options. As in, This is a real live midnight demo Test. of creating groups. Now, we have options. This could be a closed group, which means members are public. Content is private, so it's posted on people's pages that they're a member of this group. It's you know, so you can see where they are, but you have to be invited to join. You, we could make an open group, which means members and content no, are public. It's, it can't be open. You must close it. <laughs> or it could be. This is my favorite one. It could be a secret group. <laughs> we could be Man, the, the secret yeah, naked sweet. marketers group, right? It could be totally secret. I don't think we should make it secret, but it could be. And so once you say that, then you, so those are your three options for groups. So I'm going to create a closed group. So members are public, but content is private. And I'm going to create it. And now it's, it takes me to the group and you guys are members and you should receive, if you're online, you should receive messages inviting you to this group. Um, or, or no, that's important. It's telling you that you're in the group because I, it's like anything else in Facebook. I can tag a photo of you doing something illicit. I can tag a place. If you and I go to a place together, I can tag you as being at that place. I can also now add you, know you to like that. I know. And I can also now add you to a group without oh, your explicit got permission. Added. Yeah. Look at this. Now that's you to the group. Groups now let you share, okay, chat, and email with a small group of friends. I feel so exclusive now. Okay, so I found, uh, this is a Fast Company article. To do this, Facebook will now create friend groups for you. In the past, Facebook has attempted naive solutions, which boil down to asking Facebook users to make their own lists. According to Zuckerberg, less than 5% of users took advantage of this option. Even fewer made people made more than one list. How did Facebook decide to solve this issue? Let's design an algorithm. 
Based upon an algorithm, Facebook has developed an index for each relationship which tracks which friends you are close with and which friends you are not. From there, Facebook will suggest groups for you and help you populate the groups you've created. I well, can't I, think of the, the amount of times I've solved my own personal problems with algorithms. I do it all the time. Yeah. Boy, if I had a dime, right? <laughs> now, Sorry. here's the thing. I have no idea where that... Um, where that option is like it doesn't seem to me that there is any sort of i don't know where to set the algorithm up i'm looking through the admin options what essentially what this allows us to do is well a couple of things first of all it lets you do all the stuff you can do on a facebook you know fan page or a, a, the old group page which now i guess is gone uh, you can do posts and links and photos and videos and events and but now you can also edit documents there's a very simple rudimentary document editor i sort of one of these things is not like the other one the way you look at it but i i, I don't know it's a, a little bit weird uh but you but it also creates kind of an ad hoc mailing list so you can actually email members of your group so now you can subscribe people to your group and then email them and it shows up in their inbox Right, not in their you know updates box that kind of gets lost in the craft. So imagine you have a group for you know an open group for your product or an open group for your cause or an open group for whatever. Suddenly you now have a a, a mailing list that I have to imagine will be easier to build than uh, you know an opt in because Facebook by its nature is so very opt out. You have to say no after it's done. It's like the stop sign goes up after the accident. Um and instead of, you know, opt in on your website. Is that a problem? It's what a it's becoming less and less of a problem, I think. Why? You just think people are getting used to it? Yeah, that's that's why. That that's what I mean by that. I I, I think that it's um, one of those things that uh, that we're a little more desensitized to. Frankly, that's yeah. my own opinion. But Megan? yeah, Megan, I'm here. You just what do you know? What do you think? I mean, I'm curious what you're about your the opt in, opt out. Well, I think you know to their credit, and it, I typically don't side on this. The uh, in the Facebook corner on privacy issues, but I think they're getting a, a little bit more savvy in hearing what people are saying. Like one of the other things they released that I wasn't going to talk about was the fact that you can now see all the applications that are pulling stuff from your Facebook page, and you can see exactly what information is being shared. Um, so they're giving you a little bit more control. Um, the other thing that they've launched is the ability to download all of your information you've ever put into Facebook. Um, so they're giving you a little bit more control, you know, so I think they're seeing the writing on the wall and understanding that there are privacy issues, but, you know, at the same time, this whole opt in, opt out culture, um, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't have, I, well, I guess bottom line is, does it not, not even culturally, does it, does it wig you out a little bit that you could a be subscribed to groups without your permission and b start getting a whole bunch of email from these groups without your permission. I mean, does that become uh, the, more of a pain? The latter, the latter of the two concerns me. And, and, and the former of the two, um, I mean, cause I've, I've, yeah, since you've, since, since you've created this group, Pete, I just, so I just for fun kind of added two other people here. And it's just kind of interesting that because I did that, they're now members of the group. 
um, I think it's we go back to sort of this honor box thing with Facebook, where it's you know if people use it in good ways, then you think well, good because it's just less less effort for me. So someone thought I might be interested in this group, I was added, and that makes me feel like I was invited to the cool table in the cafeteria. Um, but let's say somebody adds me to their you know S and M fetish group. Well, Oops. that was that was what happened. I, you know, we've talked about Jason Calacanis before on the show, and and he was added to the Nambla group. Oh boy! Uh, without his obviously, yeah, without that his. seems like a well, problem. maybe you, with his permission, you, I don't know. Can you push information through a group? So if somebody subscribes you through to a group, it just gives you access. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be getting messages, right? No, it means you're getting messages. Yeah, that that is yeah. going to be that's that might be troubling. So, so from a privacy standpoint, it makes you think there should be a setting that where you can turn that off. And I I'm, I believe there, I'm is, sure there is. In, <laughs> you know, in the privacy settings, I just haven't found it yet. But from it's a about, marketing uh, eight eight clicks deep. That's probably. right. That's right. But from a marketing perspective, act now to build your list before they turn that off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No kidding. Perfect. Get anyway. On it. So that's Facebook groups, and I, you know, so we now have a Facebook group. It's a closed group, which is, you know, it's so you really, it. it is quite uh, prestigious to be a part of the Naked Marketers closed group. There are well, we're we are only five people, and just going to and two of them slowly. don't even know <laughs> exactly. They're going to wake up in the morning, and be like, what? That's nice. So we'll see. Very nice. It'll be fun. So that's Facebook groups. A live so. experiment. Much fun. Uh, what else do we have to talk about? Can we talk about the Gap? Oh, please do. Are you guys up in arms about the Gap? Have you seen this? Oh, I think it's hilarious. Up in arms. No, I think it's, it's hilarious. really. I, but they, there are a lot of people up in arms about the Gap. Uh, just, I, th- I think it's hilarious. Okay, we'll tell the story, yeah. and then I'll tell you what I think. Well, I mean, the story is, here's an, another company. So this is a company with, uh, you know, how long has the Gap been around? 30, 40, 30 years? Ooh. Wait a minute. Their origins go back. I'm going to say 40. I'm going to say 40. You want to say 40? We should find that out. Somebody find that out about how long is the gap been around. The real issue is, you know, it's a uh, they have have moved to they want to move their organization into the now and have a little bit more progressive um, progressive look to their logo. I've and heard that before from the gap. What does any enterprising multinational retail giant do to make their logo appear more futuristic but change the font to Helvetica? <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be the uh, that seems to be the what you do. And so they did that, and they took the Brilliant. square. It used to be, you know, it used to be the kind of stretched, I don't know what that was, Garamond or something, gap. There was no, you know, it was just it was in a blue square. Too. Yeah, it was just a just gap, kind of tall, in a, inside a blue square. That was their, that was the icon. It's been known for years and years. So they changed it to just gap in Helvetica with the blue square kind of hovering uh, to the right of the P, kind of behind the P, uh, as if it was left out, kind of lonely, kind of a don't forget me blue square. Um, and and so I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, the bottom line is they made a change, and that's fine. Everybody gets pissed off at change, and a lot of a lot of customers have and and brand. Let's say quote. I'm saying this in quotes. Brand and design experts have gotten up in arms about the gap. Now, the upshot of this 
The Gap had originally said they're going to launch this logo in the United States, and then uh, they're going to roll it out over the holidays in the uh, uh, abroad. And what has happened since, based on all of the uh, criticism of the redesign, they have uh, now uh, stepped back from that decision. They've said it. They've. They've. Uh, at least they've said, you know, we're not sure when we're gonna when we're gonna roll it out. We may, in fact. Um, not roll it out internationally. Who knows? Maybe they'll uh, maybe they'll go back to the old. Well, but did logo. you see what they said on their Facebook page? No. What does it they say? They said I missed that one. Oh well, that's just one idea. We're actually going to be doing a crowdsource contest. No. Yes. No. That is like the big part of the story. Yeah. So we we'd like your ideas too. <laughs> that's why I think it's hilarious. Oh my god that that does that makes it much better. <laughs> well, you don't like our logo? See if you can do better. Yeah. Armchair quarterbacks. Well, and the funny thing, well, I, this is not funny. It would not be funny. It would not be funny. The agency that redesigned the logo. Mm. The agency that redesigned the logo um, was... Whom? Laird and Partners yes. out of New York. And they were also responsible for the holiday campaign uh, that was to go along with this, uh, with this redesign. And that apparently is, is, you know, at least there has been language saying that that might be in question. I don't know. What do you guys think about this? I mean, is this, has, well, can has I just, the gap did I miss, did, did I miss something here? Like that, that there's actually speculation at this point that this whole thing is a social media experiment to begin with? Yeah, that's what I got from what Megan just like, said off their Facebook page. Well, but it's, so well, people are, is this, uh, this is, is this part of the repositioning, Megan, where they're saying like, Oh, well, I guess, wait a minute, take that back. Uh, the people, I guess, are saying, not the gap, but people are saying, hey, you know where this looked like? It was a really big blunder. That was just an attention-getting gimmick the gap did. And, you know, they, they're doing all this to, you know, get interest in this social media campaign, this crowdsourcing effort. Well, they're, that is not what they're saying. They are saying... Well, I know um, they're not saying it. I mean, their logo has well, been launched. Said, they, it's they, it's on their website. It's everywhere. It doesn't look like it's in test mode. They've been surprised by the response to the new logo, which was received well internally. <laughs> it's impressive. <laughs> the passionate outpouring from customers. <laughs> listen, listen, given this response, we decided to open it up. We'll explain more specifics in the next few days. Gap posted a message on its Facebook page last night saying that in light of the response to its new logo, it will be conducting a crowdsourcing project. So instead of a focus yeah, group, it's saying. like, hey, all the, pe- so. all the people who worked for me thought it was great. That would have been brilliant. Dane, well, they had actually right. staged that, like, put out this lame logo. But the funniest thing, have you seen that? It's like uh, crapmylogo.com. Or <laughs> it's a site where you can go and put your whatever name in it, and it will essentially, like, auto-generates the exact same font in blue square with your name behind it. Oh, that's really awesome. Fun. Wait a minute, hold on, I'll find it. It's uh somebody That's our tool of the week, I think. Craplogo.me. <laughs> Craplogo.me. Okay. So you just plug in whatever and then you hit submit and it gives you your name or your logo with in the exact same font with a little blue square on the right hand corner of it. Oh, funny. that's so great. <laughs> I get your crap logo and there it is, Pete Wright. I just did a logo type of myself in Helvetica with a crappy blue square. 
warms my heart. Why hire an expensive firm to rebrand? <laughs> well, okay, so let's back up here a little bit. What do you guys, I mean, what Gap's response, is it appropriate? To crowdsource? Well, I, I, no, I mean, go, I, I, the, yeah, okay, to crowdsource. You know, it depends on how it plays out. I mean, if if it is what it looks like, uh, gee, they kind of screwed up and no one likes the logo and it's, you know, a lot of wasted money at this point and possibly now a, a, stunted, ca- a stunted campaign that was set to roll out. Um, you know, I can see that as a big, you know, expensive failure. But maybe there's a silver lining. Uh, maybe they do get attention because I haven't paid attention to the gap for any reason really in years. Um, and you know what I mean? I mean, maybe people do get pulled in and maybe people do feel like, uh, they have some buy-in on some level or they were, you know, they, they get some participation, which is that, you know, that to me is social media at its best is when people really feel like they're participating with a brand, you know, if that happens, um, you know what I mean? I mean, if that if that's sort of like the unintended consequence, then that might be good. But so far, it looks like it's just a, a lot of wasted money and time. Uh, okay, so you know what I think? I think there's somebody inside the gap who is uh, terrified to ma- make hard decisions. And I think that's really unfortunate because what this reeks to me is we did a branding we did a rebranding bottom line is nobody ever likes a logo change nobody ever ever likes a logo change logos are foisted on people they get used to them uh, they adjust to them eventually they normalize and people start to like them they like them because it's familiar and it takes a lot of time and when you do a logo change like this people hate it they get pissed off they don't like it when you shake up their favorite thing but they eventually, they will get used to it. The new Gap logo is not that bad. I can see yeah. how it would evolved here, uh, evolved to this point from the original. It's got some, you know, it, it's got some legacy to it. It is an interesting kind of homage to the original, even though it's Helvetica and that's kind of played. Uh, but the bottom line is, I think the Gap is is gone way, way, way too far. I don't think it's they they didn't start this as a campaign to crowdsource their legendary brand logo. They didn't start it as a campaign. And as such, it looks like it's kowtowing from a point of absolute weakness to the vocal, what will amount to be the vocal minority. And that's really annoying. More than anything else, it's just, I think it's a sign of weakness. Anybody? That was very philosophical and deep. Yeah. It was a little bit deep. I know. I feel like I, I, don't I got my depth you. on right there. That was. You got your depth on. I'm glad one of us does. Because <laughs> so well, like, is me. that like when you get your swell on at the gym? Do you know, I? it is just like that. <laughs> just like that. I, I'm i trying I to do 10 push-ups between each time either. I talk. No, the, uh, I mean, tell me I'm not alone. Uh, I, I mean, having been through rebranding uh, campaigns, I, I, I've never had the experience where people are happy from the outset. Where well, the I, agree, I, I agree with you completely. I look at this logo and think if it's the first time I saw it, I wouldn't think anything of it. Fine, it's a logo. 
I think I think partly the the yeah I mean this the reaction is whatever a little bit um, extreme or you know I don't know what but yeah for 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 the gap to instead of be to instead of taking sort of a strong position and saying we love it everyone loves it you're gonna love it too mm-hmm. it's sort of like oh oh no no that's we weren't really gonna do that yeah and that's, you, that was just deep. a joke. <laughs> this is the iPad. I mean, yeah. tell me there isn't a lot to ridicule about the iPad brand, and yet uh, it is, it's selling faster than any electronics device ever. Um, so, it, you know, when you come from a posi- to the market with a, from a position of strength, um, you know, I think you, you reap those rewards, and Gap is coming to the market from a position of weakness, and that's a shame. Though, to be yeah, fair, it, I also haven't thought about the gap in several years <laughs> since I was 15. Well, and I think that they're probably a little bruised um, from a lot of different, you yeah. know, a lot of different failures at a lot of different levels over the last decade. And I think, um, <laughs> and they just seem to sort of be behaving that way, don't they? Well, yeah, that's what it, that's what it starts to look like. Interesting. Um, Let's uh, let's talk just very quickly about the uh, speaking of iPad. Let's talk about ABC and the iPad app. This is old news, actually, uh, but it's cool, and I think it's uh, it bodes well for living in a an, the era of Minority Report. <laughs> Have you seen this thing in action? Uh, the new no. iPad ABC app. No, you call it old news, but hey, it's new to me. Well, it was, you know, the ABC iPad app launched about two weeks ago, and and what it um, what it does is, as you're watching, it's the ABC My Generation app. What it does while you're watching a TV show, uh, well, actually, just take a step back. In every TV show that is broadcast uh, on network television, there is this hidden sound. That is called an audio watermark, and it's it's there to sync with uh, uh, ratings boxes for you know the Nielsen ratings company. They give you these boxes, and these boxes have little microphones on them that listen for this audio watermark to know what show you're watching when you're watching it, and that's how ratings are are counted on these by these families as they change the channels. The Nielsen box is tracking every second that they watch, and um, and so they built that same. Uh, sort of ear into the ABC iPad app. So while you're watching this TV show on ABC, you hit the button sync with show and you get custom content uh, content that is synchronized with the show that you're watching. So you might end up getting trivia uh, for a show. You might be able to end up playing a uh, playing a game along with the show. Um, you can get, uh, you know, additional content on performers that you see uh, showing up on your iPad. Uh, so you end up, you know, sort of getting to watch two screens, um, you know, while you're watching your television show. Um, I think it's really interesting. I, I'm not sure that it. Uh, I, I don't know that I'm necessarily interested to, you know, as a customer to sit and when I'm vegging out watching TV to sit and actually, you know, interact with the iPad, you know, in that way. I mean, usually if I have the, my iPad in my hands, it's because I'm, you know, writing an email while a show is on or something, you know, and so I'm sort of multitasking. I'm not really monotasking to watch TV that actively, but. 
when you think about it from an advertisement advertising perspective, isn't it interesting if you had your ad show up and you could suddenly start, you know, uh, pop up, you know, request for information boxes for people. You could interact, uh, have it interact maybe with the iAds program with Apple and have your ads, uh, you know, take you to that next level of interactivity. Um, I think we're going to be seeing more and more of that kind of background well, interactivity. Yeah, and I. And I, and I think that on, on the surface, this doesn't feel like, wow, everyone's going to want this tomorrow. No. Uh, but I can see you, there's just enough, you know, of a glimmer here that you think, okay, so maybe this app, even as is, um, is just waiting for the right TV show with the right audience to click in, or maybe, you know, the right advertiser with the right, you know, a- applicable use, or... Um, I, I think more likely there'll be evolutions of this kind of a concept um, that we'll probably see as we, as you said, move into the minority report era. Um, but, you know, I can see right off the bat something like, let's say, Glee or American Idol, or I think those shows probably have an audience that might be built in to really want an additional interactivity. So I don't know. It's, it's um, I, there, There's something here that says, there's a very interesting potential on the horizon. Yeah. I, you know, I, particularly when you think about, f- for example, um, you, you know, having your mobile device listening for audio cues, not while you're watching TV, right? When you're walking through the mall, um, you know. <laughs> okay. And, now, now you're scaring me. Right. Now that's just creepy. Scary. I mean, that's yet another way to, is if you're not, if you don't have, um, you know, your Wi-Fi on, if you don't have your Bluetooth on, and uh, you know, there's yet another way or your for swell you to on. be, or your swell or your, on, or your your deep thought on. Yeah, I mean, there's yet another way for you to be uh, interacted with uh, as you're as you you know reach into your wallet. Scary. Oh, it's kind of scary. It's just crazy, isn't it? What it do is... we do? I'm going to move to a farm somewhere in Mexico, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, that is uh, all I have. Although I just got a really funny email as we we're talking here, um, and it's not related at all to uh, um, to marketing necessarily. Well, it is sort of related to marketing. The subject is from the uh, OKCupid website. This is thanks to uh, to uh, Kurt. Uh, our, our friend of the show, Kurt, uh, sends an email saying, uh, uh, okay, trends, don't be ugly by accident. If you're anything like me, you usually think of your pics in terms of content. Here's me smiling. Here's me looking tough. Here's me in Hawaii with a wacky turtle and so on. Today, however, we'll analyze photography from a numerical angle. We'll discuss flash focus, etc., to find out who the most attractive people are on OKCupid. And it turns out, according to... They, they've done a complete study of photo attractiveness by camera, make, and class. And it turns out uh, people using the Motorola phone and Windows phones are least attractive on the entire uh, network, dating network of OkCupid. Kodak Easy shares, they have tough. BlackBerry, boy, they don't get dates. Android, no. LG oh phones, a little bit better. Nikon Coolpix, that's about the baseline. Uh, Nikon and the Minolta DSLRs. <laughs> On the upside, um, boy, Apple iPhone and Sidekicks are right in line, but Samsung point-and-shoots, Canon power shots, the, the, the most attractive people. 
are in pictures that were taken by the Panasonic Micro Four Thirds cameras. So by a professional photographer, and they might be models. Well, no, they're they are they're, It's a nice camera. It's not a professional grade camera by any any stretch. Okay. In fact, the Nikon DLC, DSLR, which you know could be professional, could not be, uh, is kind of in that midpoint. I mean, it's it's half as attractive as people shot with this Panasonic Micro Four Thirds. So there's a there's another one. But the best one is uh, down here. Oh, also, iPhone users have more sex. File this under icebreakers. <laughs> Finally, statistical proof that iPhone users aren't just... Uh, aren't just getting screwed by Apple, sexual activity by smartphone brand. Uh, so according to OkCupid, average number of sexual partners by age 30, Android, uh, 6, BlackBerry, 8, iPhone, 10 for men, 12.3 for women. So if you're a woman and you oh, have an a iPhone, woman with an iPhone is nothing but you a are having the most sex on OKCupid. I mean, what does that say? That is a branding conversation if I've ever heard one. Somebody yeah, needs I, to have a tagline around that. It's a branding yes. conversation and not at all scientific. <laughs> <laughs> Based on rigorous empirical research. <laughs> right. Uh, and on that note, I, I think we really ought to uh, bring the smarts. Oh, I can't wait. Please, let's. Our special guest this week, uh, uh, our guest, the first uh, episode of our second season. I'm very excited because I we have a, uh, it's sort of a Portland hero. Dane, are you excited about Portland heroes? I know I, you don't there's no Portland, better kind. There's no better kind. I love kind. heroes is, in general. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of heroes. Do you know what I think Portland about? Hero. It's not only a Portland hero. I think it would be fair to, to uh, characterize uh, our guest as the Robin Hood of the Portland tech media startup <laughs> scene. Uh, oh, cool. Rick, Rick Tarosi, welcome to the Naked Marketers. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so much, much for uh, for joining us. Now, Rick, you are the uh, gosh, what are you even called? The impresario of SiliconFlorist.com? <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's my official title. <laughs> yes. I didn't actually. I did a search for impresario, and and you came up first. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, SiliconFlorist.com first to give us an idea of of what you do over there. Sure. So Silicon Florist basically is a, it's a blog. Um, it's focused on startups in primarily the Portland area, but throughout the Silicon Forest. So sometimes I cover startups in, you know, Salem or Corvallis or, or um, Bend, for example. But it's, it, it, the idea behind it was really that there were a lot of cool things happening in the tech scene, uh, especially around things like open source um, more more recently, mobile development, uh, web-based technologies that really hadn't caught the eye of traditional media. So Portland Business Journal, um, The Oregonian, those sorts of resources weren't really covering the topics, nor were major tech blogs like um, you know the usual TechCrunch, ReadWriteWeb, GigaOM weren't weren't really paying attention, and yet there was a lot of activity. And so I, you know, in some fit of madness, sat up one night at two a.m. and said, "Somebody should be writing a blog about that kind of stuff." And that was about three years ago that I started doing that, and I've been publishing practically every day since. Well, it has really become sort of a staple in the in the Portland community. I mean, it seems like Silicon Florist is just about everywhere you go, uh, <laughs> and and uh, you know. So I'm wondering uh, how much has AOL offered to acquire you? <laughs> well, we're, we're in discussions <laughs> currently. They sent me a disc with a hundred free apps on it. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I'm thinking, <laughs> nice. we're, I'm thinking we're pretty good. Like, That's good. Those are valuable. Those I'm are gonna, very I'm valuable. Gonna out, yeah, I'm going to hold out for 200 hours. That's right. That's right. But at least you know you're in the ballpark. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're, 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 they're good bookends. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what we are, uh, I'll tell you, you know, what we're most interested in, uh, particularly focused on this season, is to talk about, um, you know, how uh, how startups get the word out. I mean, this is a, a talk about folks who are in the trenches, um, uh, you know, trying to get the word out and get uh, and get people invested in, in new products and services and and uh, uh and really build a connection and an engagement with an audience and and you know we recognize that that is uh that is difficult that is difficult to do as a startup uh when you don't have a lot of uh you know when you don't have a lot of social capital and and uh, so we thought what better person to talk to than someone who's really been focused on the startup community like yourself for the last 3 years to talk about who's doing it right uh, uh you know what are you seeing in startups that are really building engagement early that is solid and strong and and uh you know who are the companies to watch yeah. Well, I think, you know, the most interesting thing, and, and just to give you some of my background, I've been in the Portland uh, tech startup scene for about the past 15 years doing primarily marketing communications kind of stuff from, right. you know, traditional stuff on through on through the web stuff. And the the interesting thing about the companies that I tend to cover is they're, they're kind of those startups that are are in a pre-marketing mode, like they haven't even become mature enough to engage in a great deal of marketing. And so a lot of what I see happening is this interesting kind of ad hoc, um, you know, activity, less less planned, you know, marketing, traditional marketing campaign or, you know, promotional campaign and more just, you know, person to person, real engagement. And um, that that kind of that kind of engagement um, is is really taking place, you know, obviously in in areas like Twitter, on Facebook, those kind of things. I think for most startups, that tends to be the most cost effective way for them to get involved and and honestly more engaged with their user base. Um, as an example, Urban Airship. As a company here in town that provides basically infrastructure and services for mobile applications to it's interesting especially in this context because they they provide a service that allows marketers to better talk to and understand users of mobile applications be that on iPhone or Android or or what have you um, they allow you to to kind of push messages to those users who use your applications much in the same way I I always equate Urban Airship to the advent of HTML email. Mm. So much, much in the like back in the day when we used to have to send out text emails, there wasn't really much in the way of tracking. But once you introduce the HTML component and the idea of tracking URLs and that kind of thing, it, you were able to provide the end user with a much richer experience. But you were also you also got all this data back about how people were using your, you know, how were people reading the email, were they even opening it, that kind of thing. So Urban Airship does something very similar to that for um, for mobile applications. And But the interesting thing there is they're a business-to-business kind of company. So they're helping other developers. They're not actually, they're, they're behind the scenes. They're like, you know, 
BASF, we don't make the products you use. We make the products you use better kind of, kind of company. And the most interesting thing they've done, and it was, it, you know, you wouldn't think of it as a marketing, um, you know, a, a means of marketing in any way, but they worked on extremely good documentation of their service. And that, that alone, you know, for frustrated developers who are trying to build, you know, mobile applications as quickly as they can and make them as rich and, and engaging as they can, something as simple as paying attention to your documentation and having an effective support mechanism for those developers was a huge marketing boon for them. Um, you know, sure, nobody it, gets, else, it gets the right people talking. Right. And, you know, and everybody else was just kind of focused on throwing this technology out there and, you know, kind of sink or swim. And they really took the opportunity to, you know, do some handholding with that, with that market. And, and it's really been, you know, really been helpful for them. I, the other thing that helped them is they were at uh, Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference. And they bought everybody donuts. So that, that so helps it's, too. it's either that or documentation. We don't know right. what actually made the I'm impact. Not, I'm not <laughs> sure. <laughs> either way, of, they're talking to the right it's audience. Kind of, yeah, it's kind of the old drug rep. <laughs> yeah. like, show up at the doctor's office with donuts and suddenly everybody's buying your drug. Um, but that, that was an interesting one. That's one that always strikes me. And then, you know, there are a couple companies in town that jump to mind immediately when you start talking about Facebook. And that is that second porch, which is a, a startup that basically allows people to share inf- rental information about vacation rentals that they own with their friends on Facebook and find, you know, ways for trusted parties to, um, to rent, uh, you know, a home you may own, you know, keep your rental filled basically, mm-hmm, but using, mm-hmm. using the dynamic that already exists within Facebook and adding that kind of, you know, commercial aspect to it which is interesting you know taking taking an infrastructure that already exists and and you know leveraging that to to build a business on top of it and the other the other one is shopping nighter which is a which is a startup still in beta and what they're doing is helping people build storefronts within facebook so you would you would actually be able to buy products or services from directly within facebook so uh, and from a marketing standpoint, those are interesting because you've already got a lot of infrastructure there. You already have a lot of that that social network, social graph um, things. Things tend to to percolate through those networks very quickly because of the way they're already developed. And so, people building products on top of existing services and then using that mean that as a means to to get the word out about their service is has been another really interesting thing that some small startups have been doing. Is there a danger in, uh, in in doing that, particularly for startups? Is there a danger in leveraging your product on the back of another product, which, you know, I, dare I say, Facebook has been a little bit, what's what's the word, uh, schizophrenic <laughs> in their, in their products? <laughs> well, it, you know, there, I think it's, um, it, you see a lot of people doing it. I mean, the, in this, in this kind of new world order of the web there's this idea of access to data or access to activity and services on on top of existing services i mean we've seen everything from you know amazon allowing you to store data or use their you know use their engine to 
to to help sales. Um, you know, Twitter, Facebook's another good example. Um, I think it's just kind of. It, I think it's risky if that's your your one and only way of building your business because as we saw with um Twitter as a good example yeah. you know there were all these people building applications on top of Twitter for using Twitter and then uh the the corporation Twitter said well we're going to buy one of those and now we have an official app right and you know all you other people who built apps sorry but we're going to be pushing you know our official app so there's right. risk there but there's you know there's some there's there's also the potential of a, a short-term foothold short-term gain there's also you know the the whether it's uh, whether it's true or false the idea of you know first mover advantage if you can get in there and and build something of value and make it a you know a barrier to entry for anyone to catch up to you i think there's value there but i you know, i would agree with you i think if that's you know if you're a one-trick pony you you better get ready to to have a very short lifespan as a startup, or you better find somebody who doesn't realize that and is going to acquire your company before the before the bottom falls out. Right. You you know you we, we talk a lot about social and and Twitter and Facebook as as platforms and and uh, you know I wonder if you could wax uh, technosophical. <laughs> uh, a little bit on this idea that you know when you when one of the big uh, you know complaints I get from more traditional organizations is you know there are there are no real substantive lessons that can be learned from Twitter that Twitter is a I've uh, you know direct quote a glorious waste of time mm-hmm. uh, now I, I think present company excluded we all sort of disagree fundamentally with that but I wonder if we can if, if you can help us determine why. <laughs> why it's not a waste of yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Why is it not well, a waste of time? And and are there lessons that traditional organizations can, can sort of glean from well, from effective I, use? Yeah, I you know, I always kind of find it humorous that the same organizations that are willing to spend, you know, upwards of six figures to send five of their sales guys to go drink cocktails at an event in Las Vegas are unwilling to spend, you know, a a couple hours dealing with Twitter on a regular basis. <laughs> it's you know, it's a it, it it it's no different than than a than a cocktail party or than you know sitting sitting at a trade show booth or or um, you know having face to face interaction you know put, sending people out on sales calls like it, it's the same it's the same human activity just occurring in a different realm and I think you know it's that person to person interaction that so many businesses claim is you know the heart and soul of of their business those are sometimes the self same people who are who are complaining about things like twitter and facebook saying that they're a waste of time and there's no proven roi you know what's the proven roi of having your employee you know driving around in a rental car all over the united states stopping in and talking to customers that's the same ROI that's that's available via Twitter. Um, not that not that one replaces the other. It's just a different. It's a different tangent of the same activity, and the, you know you have the ability to um, to if you know affect those same relationships in some way just using you know using technology as opposed to as opposed to you know travel. 
or or events or that sort of thing. And again, I don't I'm more an and guy than an or guy. I think people I think people often get in those arguments, we're either going to do this or we're going to do this. And what a lot of organizations have a hard time realizing is they need to really get in the mode of doing this and this and figuring out how to balance that effectively and use them in use them in conjunction with one another. I mean, it doesn't much in the same way, it doesn't do any good to go to a trade show and grab a stack of business cards and then not do anything with them. It doesn't do much good to have a Twitter account and just you know continually spam your URL out there and not not use it as it's meant to be used to interact with other people and to participate. So I, I think there's some learning curve there too that may, that makes you know, that, that tends to make a company a bit gun shy about that kind of thing. Well, it's it's uh, it sort of deals with the dichotomy that you brought up very early in our conversation that that I think you used person to person and real engagement in conjunction mm-hmm. with online engagement. Mm-hmm. And yeah. th- that's one of those things that I don't think uh, people have have or more traditional marketing folks have quite grasped yet. Right. That, that well, one is somehow less authentic than another. Right. Well, and the, the I think, you know, <laughs> I'm clearly no fan of big corporations having tried to avoid working for them my entire life. But the, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the fact of the matter is businesses have been, business is all about efficiency and marketing people who exist within larger businesses especially are taught you know how do you make this process more and more efficient um that's the appeal of of email right i mean you can send a mass email to ten thousand of your customers with the push of a button and it'll customize it and pretend that it knows their name and their company and all that kind of stuff and the scary thing about i think things like twitter Facebook um, is they're not they're not scalable in that manner. You can try to make them scalable in that manner. I mean, people will people will use the you know they're going to use a client of some sort so that they can blast a message out to twenty. So they- Rick, Dane, I'm here. Oh, Dane, hi, Rick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you went dark. Oh, I did. We, we black holed. You said oh, no. uh, you were right in the middle of, um, you know, so they can use a client to blast something out to, okay. and then you went away. I'll, I'll, I'll pick up there okay. so that you can you can edit. Thanks. Um, so you can you a, a lot of companies will use a client to blast the same exact message out to every social network in existence. That's not engagement. That's spamming. So. Um, it, Twitter, Facebook, those kind of things. While there's a certain um, there's a certain aspect of scale there in the in the number of people to with whom you can communicate instantly. There's also this inability to scale, which is you need to participate in that network in a very real and and transparent way. So you can't just be, as I said before, you know you can't just be spamming your URL. You can't just be constantly on broadcast mode. You have to be in a conversation with the people, and you have to be participating with people. And that that's that's difficult for for companies that are used to you know controlling messages and finding more efficient ways to communicate. That's a that's a different difficult thing to get their head around. I well, think. that uh, yeah, I think that's probably true. Dane, sorry. And, and 
yeah, just quick question, Rick. I'm just curious in, in your experience because I've, uh, you know, I've talked to companies um, and sort of helped to get them launched in, in the, you know, some sort of a social media strategy in different ways. And obviously the, the big question for, um, for a lot of companies who are just sort of starting out or getting their feet wet or they you know, they, they want to get engaged and they're not quite sure how, you know, um, their biggest concern right off the bat is oftentimes how do we build this base of followers or fans or, you know, whatever you want to call them and depending on the platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and so here's what I'm wondering as you talk about engaging and, and being transparent and being genuine. So from a strategic standpoint, is that, you know, from your experience where you see the tide kind of turn or does, does that happen? Let's say somebody's sort of, they've got maybe a Facebook fan page or something like that. And they've got, you know, 20 fans and, you know, how do we grow this? And, and, and the easiest way of course is to, to pay for them, <laughs> you know, right. start a, start a right. campaign. But do you notice that um, if, when, when a company goes from broadcast mode to, you know, person to person contact or, or being genuine, really, it, it, do you, have you ever seen or, or experienced that, wow, all of a sudden they went from 20 to a hundred, you know, in a week's time or whatever. Yeah, I think that's very. I, again, I I think that's very common for that to occur. I think it's you know there haven't there haven't been um, you know many reports or studies on that dynamic, and I think that's a that's a gap right, right. in in most people's learning or understanding. It's kind of it's all you know kind of ad hoc, learn as you go kind of stuff right now. But I think. You know, I, I, I'm sorry, I use analogies all the time, but I keep taking this back to the, the trade show analogy, and that's buying Twitter followers or buying Facebook followers is much in the same way people have like a really cool tchotchke at a trade show booth, and they're like, well, just, <laughs> gi- just give us your name and your email, mm-hmm. and we'll give you this really cool tchotchke. Do you get a good lead out of that? No, you get you get a quantity of leads, and you might have a you know if your if your job is you know you're 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 based on how many how many people you get to sign up, then great. But if your if your job is based on the quality of signups you get, then you know that that may not be the best thing to be doing. And and Twitter's much the same way. You could have ten thousand followers who don't care what you tweet and who never interact with you. Um, it, it's sort you, of a retention strategy at that point, you know, get as many as you can up front yeah. and then hope to God you can keep them. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Am I, am I actually interesting? Enough yeah. Yeah. To, to so so Pete, Pete, as he talks about quality leads from trade shows, do you have any flashbacks of any kind? Is there, uh, yeah, like no, I, it, I do. It's, I'm in a flop sweat right now. I feel like I'm drowning. <laughs> Trade shows are my nemesis. <laughs> Aren't they the worst? I love that you keep bringing those up, Rick. It just, uh, I, it reminds me actually, as you're talking about this, I think of, um, you know, the George Clooney uh, recent film up in the air yeah. and yeah. you know the, the woman, the efficiency woman comes in she's like, Hey, we can do video conferencing. And he's like, dead set against it because he's really good at the you know at the face-to-face and there's a real you know there's a place for it and i think about these trade shows and and all of the ways that companies especially large corporations hang on to what they've historically done and and you know probably do well but would be so afraid to step out and to try different things because gosh you know trade shows for most people it's painful but for a few people it's their life they love it don't take that away from me yeah um it, it's just it's it, it's so I don't know for me it's fun to watch companies sort of struggle and 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 that's why you know as as Pete and I have discussed you know it's so 
interesting to watch the startup community, watch the people that don't have a big budget, watch the people who are really almost in a way forced, you know, to use um, methods like this, you know, to, 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 to be organic and, and to, to get in, you know, to really make use, I guess, of these tools in ways that are effective. Yeah. And of course, in my opinion, it just, you know, we'll, we'll continue to watch it trickle up. Well, and I mean, it, you know, just to throw it out there, think if trade shows didn't, think if like, okay, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff exists fine. Think if trade shows were just introduced tomorrow and press releases were introduced the next day. <laughs> Here, wow, explain that's a, your, that's ex- a twisted future vision you're <laughs> tossing out there. You what is really, a dark cloud? Of, I know, isn't yeah. it? It's nice. Just, just go ahead and revel in that for a while. Oh man! So, I but feel, here's the: yeah. if you try and explain the ROI of a press release, you're going to pay a thousand dollars to put words you've written on a wire that's going to go out to supposedly press who won't cover the story. And the only people who are going to read that press release are your competition. And you're going to do that on a regular basis. Just go ahead and throw that thousand, two thousand $2,000 out there. Not only that, you're going to pay an agency to manage any potential inquiries that may come from that. So go ahead and throw you know $10,000 at them a month as well. It, and suddenly, ridiculous. suddenly you are paying to actively set up walls between you and your constituent <laughs> audiences. Right. Exactly. Some, yeah, that, and that. and so you look at traditional means of marketing, you're going to print a piece of collateral that costs $10 a pop that you're going to hand out to people who aren't ever going to use your product, but it looks pretty and you spent, you know, tens of thousands of employee hours building it. But yeah, I mean, you look at that more traditional stuff and they, there's even less ROI there. And then demonstrable ROI, it's just because we've done it the whole time. Well, this is how you do it. You do a brochure, you do an event, and, and you, you, know, you do a press release. And um, you know, it, 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 people like to push back on stuff because they don't understand it. You know, they're afraid of it. They, they, don't want to, they don't want to change status quo. But really, the things we've done up till now, an advertising campaign that you're going to pay $2 million to put on the Super Bowl, not much ROI there either, but and yet we keep continuing to do that kind of stuff. So I always, I always kind of like, you know, push back on the whole. Well, I don't, I don't understand the ROI. All right. Well, let's let me talk about uh, let me talk about a, a twist to that. How, what's your stance on uh, the mobile ad game? I mean, we've got iAds uh, right I, now, which is supposed to really, uh, well, at least it sounds like it is that cross between you know here we are on mobile we're every we're we're reaching the right people and yet we're not paying social prices for these campaigns right right well and so they, where's you know, the I, roi in that <laughs> they, yeah mr tarosi it's well um my roi calculator. <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, i need one of those oh, I'm gonna, that's a good idea i'm gonna sell those an roi calculator love it the, um, Well, the thing with those is, you know, so much of what's occurring in mobile now as big corporations enter that that space uh, is the microsite. Do you remember microsites? Oh, yes. (laughs) Indeed. Very, very well. Everybody had to build a microsite, right? I mean, that's kind of where mobile apps, that's the realm that mobile apps are in right now. And it's 
it's good because corporations are starting to get their you know their toe wet in the whole mobile space it's bad for people who are building for small companies and startups that are building applications because it you know it impedes their whatever the word you know discoverability or how easy it is to find their applications because there's so much noise in the market that was really ironic because it was was right when he said noise in the market he disappeared (laughs) i thought he was forcing that with a special effect i know rick you you went dark again In the coolest okay. way. In the coolest way, yeah, that's right. It can was you, very cool. Can you pick up on right. it impedes uh, small uh, developers? Pick up on impedes small developers. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, and and what happens, which is which is great that you know big companies are getting their to- sticking their toe in the water and testing it out. The problem being, it creates a lot of noise in the space, and that that tends to be to the de- detriment of small developers who are very concerned with their applications being found. Or what, you know, the buzzword for that right now is discoverability. What's the discoverability of my app, and how do I how do I enhance that? With the with the more and more noise in the space, especially by bigger companies, that's that's hurting startups. But I think, you know, it it'll all even out. At some point, you know, there's it, the good. The good apps are going to rise to the top, and and the you know the the microsite apps are going to tend to fall out of favor. There's only so much real estate on a mobile platform. I mean, you only get so many, you only get so many iPhone screens to install apps on. Right. You know, it's it really um, I, when you frame it that way. I think that's so interesting because it gets back to this discussion of of putting more barriers between you and your audience. And I think, you know, it it sounds like what you're saying is you know something that we all have kind of internalized that the key skill is being able to talk to your to your customers. And if you, it doesn't really matter if you're doing that through a direct mail campaign or an email campaign or your Twitter feed or your Facebook page. The same skill exists. It is, do you know how to effectively talk to your customers? And there are people who do it well in email, and there are people who do it really, really poorly. Yeah, I agree. And you know what I've actually found in the other, you know, the the hot, you know, marketing job titles now are like community manager oh, or yeah. social, social media manager, you know, those kind of folks. And, 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 in all actuality, and not to scare marketers away by any means, but in reality, the best people at those jobs are actually customer support people. Mm. They're the people who are used to being engaged with the customer, usually in a very emotional and stressful situation. Um, they have they have the best skill set for for dealing with this new type of kind of one on one media, whereas we as marketers generally don't. Right. I mean, we've been taught interesting. We've been taught to lie our entire lives. Right. You know what the company is doing, but this is what we want to say the company (laughs) is doing. So let's stay on message and let's spin that so that it sounds like it's positive, even though it's negative. Whereas the customer service people are like, yes, we know that's a bug. This is the workaround. This is how we deal with that. They're much more in the in the vein of communicating as a human with another human. Whereas marketing people, we tend to fall back on our, you know, what we've been taught, which is, well, don't don't expose don't you know don't don't expose anything. Just just stay on you know stay on topic or stay on message. So, you know, I see that is fascinating. Oh man, especially with startups. 
Yeah, especially with startups, you know, when I when they're talking about, you know, how do we get engaged in this stuff effectively? I'm like, don't go hire a marketing person to do it. You're not. You, you're not. Gonna, <laughs> you're not gonna, I know it sounds so dirty when you say it. <laughs> yeah, save them for huge strategy campaigns. But you know, in actuality, when it's when they're trying to engage on Twitter or Facebook or those kind of things, it's people who um, have more on the ground. You know, face-to-face time with customers that tend to succeed in these kind of roles, and you see it happen time and time again with things like Comcast Cares or um, yeah, or, man, who saw that one coming? Seriously, yeah. yeah. And you know, and he wasn't, you know, and he just kind of did that on his own, and, yeah. And it came this, and Southwest Airlines had a very similar program where you know one of the one of the people, and now she's like you know internet famous. Right. One of the people kind of started an account and started helping Southwest folks. So, I mean, it's really that. And, well, and um, uh, Zappos is another great yeah. example where it, you know they've always encouraged their or their folks on the phone to be, you know, as as much themselves as they can be, and when they're on Twitter to be as much themselves as they can be. And so that kind of real authentic engagement with folks that comes from that you know generally comes from people who are used to those kind of customer service roles can be very valuable especially to young companies that don't have many resources well, to throw it and and that seems to be where the rift is wouldn't you agree that it's the it's the the startups get that because they have no choice the mm-hmm. startups get that because there's a giant hat rack in the hallway and people walk in and they pick up whatever hats are left each day and right. they do the jobs that need to get done and and uh, and it's the traditional company with the defined roles and functions in the organization that have trouble letting go, would you agree? Mm-hmm. Yes, I would. And they, you know, and they, you know, they again, you know, they they've grown to manage communications with outside parties in a certain way. And um, you know, I would also, <laughs> I would. It's it's always interesting with larger corporations like that. To I'm always curious to hear how often the marketing people actually even interact with customer service like you know how often or or professional services right, you know right. if, if you've got a company that requires some kind of you know if you've got a product that requires some kind of implementation service how often do you go out you know how often do you send your marketing people out on the road with one of those professional services people how often do your marketing people sit on the phone taking customer services customer I, service. I know the answer to this question by the way <laughs> 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 because i think it's a hundred percent zero. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, really, that, this is so interesting yeah. to think yeah. about. You know, for me, this is a bit of a, a just a light bulb going off here. Just thinking, wow, you know, um, gosh, in every corporation I've worked for or business or whatever, the customer service is sort of that entry level, low end, young kind of person, whatever. And and it's you know, if you're thinking in terms of a hierarchy or a totem pole, well, gee, that's the job you worked up from, or you know, whatever. And uh, and there is. You know, I think quite a bit about the divide in an organization between, say, accounting and marketing, or, or even oftentimes between sales and marketing. Yep. Uh, oftentimes, but customer service and marketing. This is really very interesting because what you're saying makes absolute perfect sense, and I would say it hasn't quite occurred to me that looking at an organization, the best place to find a community, you know, engagement. Um, I guess not strategist, but um, person to to really help uh, do it would come out of customer service, not out of marketing, and probably and not even out of sales. Right, right. 
Exactly. Because, really, and, really and, because that's their skill set. And, you know, and the, and like you say, you're exactly right. There is that hierarchy where that seems like an entry level position, but all those companies that are treating that position that way, that is the person that's talking to your customer more often than anyone else. That's the, and not only that, but that customer service person is more engaged with that customer than most of your marketing people ever will be. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm into that. Uh, and, and, and on that note, where do, we, where do we go from here? I mean, when you're helping organizations sort of distill these key lessons, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what's, the, uh, what's 8 o'clock Monday morning, uh, first thing you need to do as a, as a startup leader? Um, well, the the best part about the startups, quite frankly, is most people get into startup mode because they are willing to unlearn things they've learned before, or they're willing to try new ways of doing things. So for startups, this isn't this isn't as difficult to um, to grasp. Uh, and and as you say, they only have a certain number of resources. You know, everybody wears a lot of hats, and they got to roll up their sleeves and all those other you know phrases you're supposed to use in that in that time mm-hmm. um but they uh you know they just really have to uh, it, startups really have to just kind of get out of the mode of of um broadcast and that's that's the thing i always encourage people no matter how scary it may seem find ways to have conversations rather than just broadcasting at people. You know, we're, we can't sit in our ivory tower of marketing anymore and think that, you know, just by telling people this is the story that, that people are actually going to take that and, and go with it. It's, it, things have changed in a way that there's more engagement and, and more focus on, you know, and where marketers should focus, where startups should focus is on quality and not on quantity you know if you can have if you the other benefit of social media that we didn't even really touch on is if you can have one really good interaction if you with a customer if you can transform one existing customer into somebody who now loves your product you know no longer makes rational decisions about your product or company but starts making irrational decisions about your product or company take practically anyone who uses an apple product as an example if you can convert one person then through that care and feeding and attention and engagement then it's highly likely that that person is going to broadcast that message to everyone they know you know and then you get back to the old word of mouth thing and and with with today's social media you know if you focus on that kind of quality and those people carry your message you know to their followers or their friends or that kind of thing then that's happening that that begins happening exponentially it's like the old you know prel commercial or whatever it was where i'll tell two friends and they'll tell, tell two friends and so on and so on and so on and it really um you know, it, I I just encourage people to quit worrying about the numbers, you know, quit worrying about the traffic, quit worrying about, you know, how many eyeballs you're getting and start thinking about how engaged you are or how many, you know, how many people you have a real interaction with or a real conversation with, because those are the things that are going to, to give you the long-term benefit. And this is why you are the impresario. 
<laughs> of, of the Silicon Florist startup community. Uh, Rick Tarosi, thank you so much for your time. Sure. I, I uh, went ahead and plugged SiliconFlorist.com for you uh, when we started talking, but where, where would you like to have people find you? Um, they is, Silicon Florist is great. Um, that's it's all one word. So siliconflorist.com. Uh, there's also Silicon Florist on Twitter, or they can where I tend to be more active on Twitter, and probably the easiest place to get a hold of me is Tarosi, which is spelled exactly like it sounds: T U R O C Z Y on Twitter. Excellent, excellent, and and uh, you know, and highly encourage you people to follow Tarosi on Twitter. Uh, uh, very active and uh, and uh, all around uh, nice guy, Rick. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure. Sure. Absolutely, yeah. Thank you very much, Rick. Thank Did you. Fascinating stuff there. That's great. Great. Very useful. So, Megan, I'm so sorry you couldn't be a part of that interview that uh people just heard that you still oh, i think have so not sad. actually heard it I is know, really sad it. it is very sad but uh it was it was quite interesting what did you think dane uh, i thought it absolutely was interesting and uh i'll tell you that i think there was at least one thing uh that he shared with us that i thought wow you know in that client meeting that i just had yesterday that would have been really helpful to share <laughs> did so you you should call them right now <laughs> I know. with a big fat by the way voicemail <laughs> by the way i've just had a stroke of genius here um yeah i i that that was just one of those great interviews i think anyway where yeah. um you know i was making a, a few notes and wanted to go do a little deeper research and and he did did a great job of clarifying some things that um that uh, i think make a lot of sense some things that were um that I didn't know I knew until he said that. <laughs> yes, See, of course, that makes perfect he, sense. That uh, Rick Tarosi has a way of uh, reminding you that uh, you're a smart kid. <laughs> you didn't even know that. And can I also say, Pete, I just want to say this about that interview. Um, we are now in season two. Yeah. And we're sort of launching um, the show. And in, 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 I, I like to call it a more clarified. There's more of a clarification to our mission here. And and. Uh, the fact that we're we're really trying to focus on uh, the startup community and and understand innovative, um, new, fresh you know approaches, marketing approaches. This show, in my opinion, or this this interview, um, just hit that nail on the head. And I think people should know this is this is uh, you know the kind of thing to expect moving forward. Absolutely. And and on that note, speaking of you know, we talked about social, we've talked about platforms. I have a uh, I have a tool that I would like to uh, introduce you guys to. Uh, it is called Bizarre Voice. Have you heard of this thing, Bizarre Voice? No. Well, you no. know, there are all sorts of, like, commenting engines, right? There are all sorts of, of you know, commenting and social plugins. You can add Facebook comments to your site. You can add, you know, the Facebook sidebars to your website and, and bring your Facebook users to the discussion. You can, uh, you can use Discuss. You can use uh, Intense Debate for commenting engines. Well, Bizarre Voice is an engine uh, for commenting and reviews that is specifically targeted to uh, retail products and commerce. So it it essentially adds what uh, adds um, commenting a la sort of Amazon reviews to your social uh, or to your retail site online, which is really interesting to 
to have a plugin essentially model where you can uh, you can add customer voices directly to products on your page. It ends up being both uh, sort of brazen and brave and risky all at the same time. Um, and inimitable. And inimitable. <laughs> it does Sweet. all of those things all at once. It is Sweet. a really interesting product, and I think uh, I think it's definitely worth checking out if you run a site where you sell stuff. Bizarre Voice is a really interesting um, way to bring social commerce um, to your commerce website. Megan, where can people find you besides bed? <laughs> <laughs> I'm on Twitter at Megan Strand, and my website and blog is encouraged.com. That's encouraged with an I. And Dane? I continue to appreciate the increase in traffic my website, strike10media.com, gets after each of these shows. (laughs) Do you do anything about it? Or do you just like to watch? I just break in money. (laughs) Just watch those web hits and... Say dollar dollar bills, y'all. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> making so oh. much money and hurt your parents' feelings. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Do they? Is that a thing they see you say when your kids to each other in Utah? I've never no, heard that before. That's Danny McBride. That's me spouting down action. Oh, that's Season fantastic. one episode, episode six. Make so much money, I'm going to hurt your parents' feelings. <laughs> I, uh, my name is Pete Wright on the Twitter, and uh, you can find me at fifthandmain.com. Speaking of this show, you can find us uh, uh, on the web. Fancy that at thenakedmarketers.com. We encourage you to go find us there and subscribe to the show on iTunes and do all that Facebook stuff. And if you want to join our fancy secret uh, closed and private Facebook group, <laughs> you should uh, send us a tweet and we will promptly add you. There you go. Because we're... Uh, I see a whole level of connection. A whole on. new level of private and secret connection going on in that Facebook group. This is we, this could be our new thing. We're just going to stop doing the show and just have a secret group. I'm all about new things, man. Secret Bring inner circle things. groups. One of the things I always wanted to do when I was a kid is start a cult. Oh, me yeah. too. I still do want to do that, actually. There's a little bit of me that says we could start some sort of a cult. <laughs> We're going to need some sort of a mission or a platform or a cause. Megan, expect, you're all about causes. I expect Megan to snore any minute now. Like, I know, a little bit. you stretch this out. I, I have. This has been a great show. Thank you so much for listening this far. And uh, to, to, uh, uh, to the last uh, one or two of you who still have, have this thing playing. Uh, and on behalf of Dane and, and Megan snoozing on the other end of this line, my name is Pete Wright. This has been another fantastic episode of The Naked Marketers. Naked Marketers.